Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Excited to hear the word of God. Why don't you just put your hand over your heart and let's pray. Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that you come to your people. Jesus, we're so thankful that we can have as much of you as, as our hearts desire. Thank you that you said that these eyes are blessed for we can see. That these ears are blessed for we can hear. So this, mo- this morning, Father, would you do something in our hearts? Would you wreck and melt our hearts to receive your word? the good seed of your word, which is always bearing fruit. Would these hearts be fertile soil? Would nothing but your word penetrate our hearts this morning? As you've charged us to be fruitful and multiply with what you've spoken to us. That's our prayer this morning, that we would be faithful stewards of the word, the words that you've entrusted to us. We love you, Jesus. I thank you for this church family, the most beautiful people that I know. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. November 14th, I was uh, flying on a business trip from Chicago to Philadelphia, and we were just finishing up the Revelation six-month series. If, you, if, you, if you've uh, been here at any length of, at all, we did the book of Revelation from uh, July through the end of the year, which was not long enough. Um, but the beautiful thing is he builds on the foundations, amen? And Revelation opened our eyes to give us some new vision. And I was... I've, Many of us have been praying for for months, knowing that Revelation was coming to an end and asking the Holy Spirit, what is next for our church? Where do we go? Where do you go when you close out the book of Revelation? And so I was on this flight, Chicago to Philadelphia. I had the uh, shades closed. I was sitting in the window seat and just praying, listening to some worship, worship music, just asking the Lord, what do you have for us next? I asked, I remember saying, what, what, do you, what do you teach after Revelation? Like, where do you go from there? Like, we've, we're saying, come, Holy Spirit, come, okay. It, it's, it seems almost anticlimactic to do anything else. And we knew that, that we're heading into this, or in this now, Psalm 24 season, which built upon the Psalm 23 season and these, these ancient gates of glory that are opening up. We, we know that. And so I said, God, where do we go? And he said, it's not the end, it's a new beginning. Go back to the beginning. Go back to the garden. 
the revelation is just the new and improved garden, right? Without sin. That's what it is. But he said, Chris, I, I want you to go back to the beginning. From the very beginning, I've wanted to walk with you in the garden. That's the way I designed it. From the very moment that the serpent tried to ruin uh, the plans of God, he was already setting up a permanent garden for us in the future. He was way ahead of that crafty serpent. And so he said to me as I was sitting on that flight, teach them my story. Teach them the ancient ways. Teach them their story. See, Genesis is really your story. It's your forefather's story, but it's also your story. Teach them this story because they're going to need strategies of Genesis. They're going to need the faith of Genesis. See, you are the ones, Revelation 15, you are the ones that continually conquer, right? You are the ones that continually conquer the dragon, the beast, and the number of his name. You're standing by that picture of the Holy Spirit, the, the perfectly still, still crystal sea of glass that's mixed with fire. That's who he is, who his spirit is. Perfect peace and perfect fire at the same time. And you're the conquering ones. He's given you authority to conquer your enemy. But in order to do that, you'll need to awaken like Adam in the garden. Imagine opening your eyes for the first time like Adam and being face to face with your father, realizing that your chest is rising and falling only because of the spirit that he put inside of you. You were made just like Adam to tend and cultivate the garden. You were made to multiply fruit on the earth. It's so much more than trees. It's the fruit of his word that he puts in your heart. Your purpose is to plant more fruit trees. The fruit of the Holy Spirit should be multiplying out of your life and my life. See, you and I need to understand what it means to walk with God like Enoch did. Someone who was so special to God that he couldn't keep him on this earth any longer. He needed him in heaven. See, God thinks about you like that too. Wants to have a relationship with you like Enoch you're going to need to have the crazy faith of a man named Noah where the world looks at him and laughs and mocks him and curses him and says that he's crazy, but your faith is so obedient to Jesus, you don't care about all the other voices of the world, the people that call you insane, and then it starts to rain. You're going to need that kind of faith. You're going to need the faith of Abraham to go to a land that God's going to show you. See, he's giving you dreams and desires. He's put those seeds in your heart, but it's not about the destination. It's about taking every step with him. It's about the obedient steps of Abraham. Because you'll find out when you get to the destination that the destination is really him. He is the ultimate treasure. It's not about the thing. There's great promises of God, great things that he's promised you and I, both on earth and in heaven, but the ultimate treasure is you stepping with him at the same speed as he is. You're going to need to submit to the father like Isaac did to the point of sacrificing your life, even when you don't understand it. 
See, the, this, this thing we call Christianity, the followers of Jesus, it's the best life ever, but it's not the easiest life ever. We're called to death, but then death produces new life. You're going to need to have the capacity of Joseph that in the midst of betrayal and accusation and imprisonment, even from your own brothers, that you see a bigger picture and that you don't let jealousy or hatred or bitterness consume your heart. And you'll need to recognize that you're on holy ground like Moses did. Now we're, now we're getting a little past Genesis, but that's okay. He said, teach my church the ancient ways because I am the ancient one. And his ancient ways open ancient doors, which the king of glory is coming through. Amen. Teach them the beginning because I am the one from the beginning. Teach Genesis with the same passion and depth that you taught Revelation. Because now you have Revelation vision, you're going to see Genesis in a whole different light. See, Genesis is the foundation that Revelation stands on, and there are ancient gates of glory that are opening. Amen? Here's the thing. We are an Acts church, Acts 2.14. We're an Acts church with a Genesis foundation for a Revelation vision. We are an Acts church with a Genesis foundation for a revelation vision. I'm going to jump around a little bit today. We're going to see what the Holy Spirit's going to do. Um, Isaiah 27 is an incredible passage. See, see what I did there? Revelation, Genesis, Isaiah. I love it. The best way to interpret Scripture is what? With Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. His word interprets his word. This is awesome. You're going to see Genesis and Revelation in this scripture here. Isaiah 27, verse 1. In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, rescuing Israel from her enemy. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. That's awesome. Sounds a little bit like Revelation to me. I love, you know, here, <clears throat> we're going to go on a little side tangent for a second here. Jason may teach more on this, but if, if not, that's okay. The snake in the garden that got this whole thing started. I'm going to propose to you was not a cuddly green garter snake hanging out in an apple tree. If I'm wrong, I'm here for it. Literally, I'm here for it. Jesus said this, I saw Satan fall like lightning. There was a rebellion in heaven where spiritual entities were thrown down to earth. One of those being the serpent, the snake. Did you see here in Isaiah 27, it calls him three different names. Leviathan, the serpent, the dragon. Sound familiar? Kind of like Revelation the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. Your enemy has many names because he's got different facets to him. 
But the rebellion in the garden was not a cuddly green snake that started talking. It was the serpent of old, your enemy, the devil is one of his names, who was in rebellion, got thrown out of heaven down to earth, and then tried to get you to rebel along with him. And we ate the fruit, but thank God Jesus had a better plan and speaks a better word. Just wanted to throw that in there. So throw your flannel graph mindset away. For those of you who went to Sunday school, I'll tell you what, for those of you who don't get that, I'll tell you what a flannel graph is later. Wow, I'm old. Back to Isaiah 27. He says, a vineyard of wine, sing in, sing in praise of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. This sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? I water it every moment so that no one will harm it. I guard it day and night. I have no wrath. Should anyone give me briars and thorns in battle, I would step on them. I would set them all on fire. Or let Israel cling to my strength and rely on my protection, my stronghold. Let him make peace with me. Let him make peace with me. And then the generations to come, here we go, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout. And they will fill the surface of the world with fruit. This is Isaiah prophesying. Jacob is long dead. Is he talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the, the man? No. He's talking about you and me, the generations to come. Jacob, this is important. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's one of his names. It's so important because he's the God of generations. The generations to come, Jacob will take root. There's something taking root in your heart. What is it? It's either good fruit or bad fruit. Israel will blossom and sprout. And they, you, will fill the surface of the world with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is your charge as sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is why it's so important to teach the ancient ways. Because the ancient ways, the ancient one, is the same one yesterday, today, and forever. So they're not so ancient. They're the ways of today. We just maybe lost sight of them. Amen. Remember Revelation? It happened. It's happening. It's going to happen. The same message is throughout Scripture. He's the God who was and who is and who is coming. He does not change. So get ready to plant some orchards in your heart. Amen. Be fruitful and multiply. It was the first commandment. He never stopped commanding us to keep on planting the fruit of the Holy Spirit from our hearts. So you are an Acts church with a Genesis foundation for a Revelation vision. Amen? Now we're going to jump <laughs> to Acts chapter 6. We're going to preach a Genesis message from Acts. I love it because you're an Acts church. We're going to camp out here for most of the rest of the time. Acts chapter 6. Verse 7, I love this verse. It says, God's word reigned supreme and kept spreading. That's a good church there. That's a success plan. Just so you know, we want to remind everybody, the measure of our success at this church is not how many people are in the seats, 
It's important. Sometimes you've got to get rid of people, though. Holy Spirit does, because they're not producing his fruit. Just like Gideon had to get rid of some soldiers because they couldn't see right. They weren't equipped for the battle where we're going. It's sad when that happens, but it's a reality. It's the pruning of our own hearts. God's words reigned supreme and kept spreading. Our, our, our version of, of that here, our measure of success here, is the presence of God and the freedom that he brings. The presence of God. So if his presence is here, as it is right now, it's a successful Sunday. Because he's going to bring freedom. He's going to bring fruit out of your life if your heart is open to hearing him. Amen? So Acts, the Acts church was going great. God's word reigned supreme, kept spreading. Verse 8, Stephen was a man full of grace and supernatural power, performing many astonishing signs and wonders and mighty miracles among the people. That's awesome. This upset some men belonging to a sect who called themselves the men set free. Wait a second. Stephen, a man of grace, supernatural power, performed many astonishing signs, wonders, and many miracles among the people. That's awesome. God's words reign supreme, mighty miracles, grace, signs and wonders. This is like the greatest church ever. This upset some people who called themselves the men set free. They all confronted Stephen to argue with him. Uh-oh. Everything was going along swimmingly. And these guys who claim to be free are upset because there's a guy performing miracles, signs, and wonders in the name of Jesus who had, let me read it again, full of grace and supernatural power. Here's the thing. We should not be surprised when those who say they are with us become offended at the grace and power of Jesus flowing through us. Stephen's full of grace and supernatural power, and the freedom fighters, they called themselves, come to argue with him, get upset with him. It happened before. It's happening now. It's going to happen again because of heart condition. Verse 10, but the Holy Spirit gave Stephen remarkable wisdom to answer them. I love this. His words were prompted by the Holy Spirit, and they could not refute what he said. Didn't end there, though. The, so the men set free conspired in secret to find those who would bring false accusations against Stephen and lie about him by saying, we heard this man speak blasphemy against Moses and God. And so the men set free agitated the the church, the crowd, the elders, the scholars, and they seized Stephen and forcefully took him to the Supreme Council. One after another, false witnesses stepped forward, accusing Stephen, saying, this man never stops denigrating our temple and our Jewish law. For we have heard him teach that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the traditions and customs that Moses handed down to us. I think the men set free might have had a little bit of a religious spirit. Verse 15, every member of the Supreme Council focused their gaze on Stephen. 
for right in front of their eyes, while being falsely accused, his face glowed as though he had the face of an angel. He's, he's literally has the Shekinah glory of God, just like when Moses was able to see the father and his face glowed afterwards. This is Stephen while being accused, falsely accused. He was so fixed on the throne room, so full of grace and supernatural power that his face glowed like an angel. Chapter 7, verse 1, the high priest said to Stephen, are these accusations true? I love Stephen's reply because he took it just out of a page of Jesus. He doesn't act, answer the actual question. Instead, he tells them a story. He doesn't defend himself. Instead, he tells them a story of a family. He tells them a story of Genesis. He tells them their story that they knew intellectually very well, but it hadn't penetrated their hearts. And Stephen said, my fellow Jews, my brothers, my fathers, listen to me. The glory of God, there's Psalm 24, the glory of God appeared to our ancestor Abraham while he was living in Iraq before he moved from Haran into Syria. And God said to him, go, leave behind your country and your relatives, begin your journey to and come to the land that I will show you. Hmm. Stephen, in the most important moment of his life, while being falsely accused, he probably knew what was about to happen is my guess, but he didn't care because he had his eyes and his heart so fixed on the throne room that he didn't even try to defend himself. All he did was tell the ancient story to all the priests and scholars and brothers that already knew this story. They were just about to hear it with the Revelation vision eyes. most important moment of his life, and he recounts a Genesis story about the glory of God and Abraham stepping into the promise. Stephen said, the glory of God, the Shekinah, the radiance of God, it appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. And the Lord told him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. And so he left the land of the Chaldeans. Isn't that incredible obedience? Abraham, go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you exactly where yet, but I'm going to show you. But start stepping. Yes, sir. He picks up his entire life, and he starts stepping after the father. This is why he's called the father of faith. He wasn't perfect. We're going to learn all about his lies his, the faith that he didn't have, but he's so relatable to you and I because here's a guy that can mess up but still be counted as one of the most faithful ones to ever have lived in Hebrews 11 because he had a vision for something that it wasn't in the natural. It was in the supernatural. He had ears to hear and eyes to see and feet to step into obedience 
think many times we come and play church and we're, we think of this as just some spiritual mystery out here when, when in fact, this is why we're named Church Acts 2.14 because it's about stepping. It's about movement. It's about moving forward. Faith without works is dead. If, if you have faith or claim to have faith and it doesn't move your body to action, dead, dead, dead. You might as well just sit at home or go to brunch somewhere on a Sunday morning. Serious. So Stephen keeps going, telling them this story that they already know. So Abraham left the land of Chaldeans and settled in Haran. And from there, his father died. God sent him to this country in which you now live. Remember that. But he did not give Abraham any inheritable property. Hold on, what? I'm going to send you to a land of promise, but I'm not going to give you any of it personally. He did not give Abraham, another translation says, even a foot's length worth of ground. Not even enough ground to take a step on, yet he promised he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants. This makes his faith even greater because he wasn't just living for himself. He was living for the future. He was planting orchards, Abraham, Isaac, the orchards of Jacob. Be fruitful and multiply. Not even a foot's length. If you, if God made you a promise today and said, go to this place, I'm going to show you. But you knew you would not inherit even a 12 inches of dirt on this side of heaven, would you do it? Would you do it for the thousand generations behind you? I don't know that most of us would do it. And I love this, I, I, I love this so much because all Abraham had was a promise. He didn't, God didn't give him a five-year plan or a 10-year plan. Now, I'm not saying those things are necessarily bad, but I think sometimes in our culture, we focus so much on a five-year plan. What's your 10-year plan? What's your goal when you graduate? What are you going to do when you grow up? That's a terrible question. It really is. The, be the best question we can ask ourselves and others is, what's your next step with Jesus look like? Is he taking you? Are you, are you stepping towards the land of promise that he has for you that you don't even know what it is? Straw poll, who thought when they were 12 they were going to be doing what they're doing right now? One guy. Thank you, Seth. Hey, sometimes you're a Joseph dreamer. Sometimes you just know, right? God can show you. But my point is, most of us don't know because it's in the step-by-step -step journey that the treasure is. The treasure is not what you think the goal is. The treasure is not the dream that God sets on your heart. The treasure is not the property that you inherit, the, 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 the job position that you'll finally want to get. Like, 
those, these are all the world's ideas of success. The treasure is stepping with the Father every step of the way. And then you get to destination A, and you realize it wasn't even about this place. It was about the person that I was with. It was about the relationship that we were building. It was about the faith. It was about me trusting him enough to put my life in his hands and to say, okay, I trust you. This is why a guy like Abraham can go and obey God and, and tie up his only son of promise, put him on an altar, about to kill him. He can go to that length because he had already taken 10,000 steps with his father and he knew he knew he didn't miss here, but he knew there was something else. There's a mist. See, God reserves mysteries for his kings. He, he has mysteries for each of us. M many of us don't press hard enough into the mystery to find out what it is. Because after one ancient door opens of glory, there's another one and another one. But many of us were just too scared or timid to even want to make the journey. It's safer to stay in Mesopotamia, much safer. We've lost the dangerous way of living that the church was called to live. We've lost the dangerous way of, of, of stepping into our promised land because we're so scared of the giants that we don't, we don't remember the promise. It's the reason Joshua and Caleb could have the faith that they did because of Abraham before them. You're paving a way for somebody behind you. Many of those people are in this room today. Many of them are generations that you will never meet. But your life is paving a way for them. The fruit of your life will be, will, will be known, whether it's bad fruit or good fruit, by the future generations. Jesus said how to test something is by its fruit. What comes out of your heart is the fruit of your life. And you can judge something, you can test something by that fruit. See, you are both a son and a father. We've taught this before, but we have to teach it again. You are both a daughter and a mother. You're a son that's learning from the fathers ahead of you like Abraham, like many father, spiritual fathers in this room, you're a son, but you are also a father that's teaching others. People that are looking up to you, your life is an example. People don't follow you because of the words that you speak. It's by the steps that you take. It's by the actions of your life. Vineyards and orchards don't just appear. They require work to plant them to cultivate them, to tend them. When the weeds and the rocks start choking things out, it's your responsibility, my responsibility to remove those. And it all starts right here. Heart condition. In the generations to come, Jacob will take root. Israel will blossom and sprout. I want to be on that team. I want to be in that tribe. And they will fill the surface of the world with fruit. 
See, we can literally hold on to earthly ground. Abraham could have stayed where he was, and he was a very rich man. He, he could have held on to that earthly ground, been very successful there. And he, and he was successful also, very, very rich, obeying the Lord. But he could have played it safe and stayed, or he could have played it very dangerous and obeyed the voice of his father. But you and I have the same choice. We can hold on to earthly ground, or we can give up our right for a single square inch of land on this earth. And we can plant into the orchards of Jacob. We can step into the promises of Abraham, and we can multiply the seeds of heaven onto earth. Jesus said what? The kingdom is here. It's near. It's now. It's close. It's at hand. Are we going to plant into that? Hebrews 11 says this about Abraham. I, I love it. By faith, Abraham, when he was called by God, obeying, going to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance, he went not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he lived as a foreigner in the promised land. There it is. He didn't own one square inch. He lived as an outsider on the very land that his generations were going to inherit. He lived as a nomad with Isaac and Jacob who were fellow heirs to the same promise for Abraham was waiting expectantly and confidently, get this, looking forward to a city which had foundations whose architect and builder is God. He was looking with Revelation vision to that Revelation 21, 22 city. He didn't even really know what he was looking at, but he knew it was something incredible. He didn't have the words or the vision like John had for it, but he knew he was stepping into something incredible. And his wife, by faith, Sarah, herself received the ability to conceive a child even when she was long past the normal age for it because she considered him who had given her the promise to be reliable and true. What does Revelation call Jesus? One of his names, faithful and true. His promises never fail. His word always comes true. So from one man, though he was as physically good as dead, were born as many descendants as the stars of heaven innumerable as the sand on the seashore. And all these died without receiving the tangible earthly benefits of God's promise. Only having anticipated seeing them and welcomed them from a distance, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth because they were looking for a country that was far beyond what their earthly eyes could see. See, you're grafted into that promise. One of those stars is you. One of those grains of sand is you. And it's your choice whether you're going to multiply that promise or shrink away from it. See, the, the story of these steps with his father of Abraham, that's, that's your story too. It's definitely your story. And yes, we're going back to the garden. We're going forward to the garden. We're going back to the garden. 
But the treasure's not the garden. The treasure's the gardener. And your heart is longing for something that nothing in this world can fill. It's a place that only your spirit can see. It's the ultimate treasure. It's a city, but it's, remember Revelation 21, the temple is him. The city is him. The ultimate treasure is his presence. This is why Revelation eyesight is so important as we study the ancient ways of Genesis. We have to have our eyes fixed, Revelation 4 and 5, on the highest throne. Because every day we have the opportunity and we get bombarded, especially in this day and age, by kings and kings and thrones and thrones and chaos and chaos. And we, like Daniel, have to keep looking higher and higher and higher until we see the king on the throne with a crystal sea of perfect peace glass. That's the place that our vision and our heart must stay in in order to con conquer the chaos in our hearts and our minds. Amen? So Stephen preaches this whole lengthy message. He goes through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, stuff that these guys already knew. He's speaking directly from the Spirit of God. His face is shining with the glory of God. In verse 51, this is what he says to his accusers. Why would you be so stubborn as to close your hearts and your ears to me? You're always opposing the Holy Spirit, just like your forefathers. Which prophet was not persecuted and murdered by your ancestors? Name just one. They killed them all. Even the ones who prophesied long ago of the coming of the righteous one. Now you follow in their steps and be, have become his betrayers and murderers. You've been given the law by the visitation of angels, but you have not obeyed it. And when they heard these things, they were overtaken with a violent rage, filling their souls, and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith and full of the Holy Spirit, he fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm, and he saw the glory and splendor of God, and Jesus, who stood up at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. He, he knew. He, he knew in this moment that it was over for him on this earthly life. Listen to this. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Talk about demonic. That nasty spirit of religion. So demonic. They pounced on him and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their garments at the feet of another young man named Saul of Tarsus. As they hurled stone after stone at him, Stephen prayed. Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. 
and he crumpled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, Oh, Lord, don't hold this sin against him. And then he died. Probably stones like this that they threw at his body and head until he died. A brutal way to go. How did we go from an axe church full of signs and wonders and miracles where the word of God was prospering to hearts raging so violently that they would drag a man, a beautiful man, and stone one of their own brothers to death. How does that even happen? Out of the farm, uh, uh, maybe 10 days ago or so, we got two little kitties. Jules got a kitty named Smidge, and, and Bub's got a kitty named George. I call him KG King George, because he's the king. This is, this is a picture of Smidge. I think we've got it up there. A few days into getting Smidge, uh, he wasn't doing so hot. And uh, Tuesday morning, we he barely survived the night. Tuesday morning, we took him to the vet, and he passed away. A little smidgy. It wrecked me. It wrecked a lot, all of us, but it wrecked me because I was studying for this story of Stephen. And you know, God, God cares for all of his creation. He made little smidge. He cares about the, the birds. He definitely cares about smidgy. And I guarantee you that if given the opportunity to do it again, we'd, we'd live dangerously and get him again because of those, the love we felt for a few days for him. But at the end of the day, Smidge is, is a kitty. Beautiful part of creation, you know, just like your, your pet dog or kills birds that chase him. The, the trees, the mountains, like it, everything's so beautiful that he's made. But none of those things is an image bearer. Smidge isn't an image bearer like you are, like I am. See, the beauty and wonder of the Genesis story is, is, is God spoke all of this into existence. He spoke the smidges and, and the whales and the the Rocky Mountains and the Pacific Ocean and all these things he spoke into existence and he saw it was good. It was good. It was good. Then he's like, there's, there's something that's missing. And see, when he created you, he, he didn't speak you into existence. This is very important. 
he got down on his hands and knees and he took some dirt, some dirt that he'd spoken to existence, that dirt, and he molded it and he formed it perfectly to look just like himself. And then he took his spirit, he took his breath, and he, he blew his breath into your nostrils. And that moment that Adam woke up looking back at his father, he knew he was different from every other created thing. Because he wasn't spoken to existence. Watch this. God took his voice that he spoke over all other creation and he put it in you and me so that we could speak on his behalf and be fruitful and multiply his good fruit everywhere we walk and subdue chaos with the goodness of God coming out of our lungs. That's what makes you different from Smidge. But it wrecked me this week to think of the hate that could fill all of our hearts for one another. We go from a church of signs and wonders and miracles and God's word being promoted everywhere to wanting to throw these stones and smash our brother and sister's head in. But see, this, this stone doesn't just appear in your heart, does it? It doesn't just appear overnight. You don't just go from hallelujah chorus, signs and wonders, everything's great, to like wanting to crush somebody's head in. Do you? It starts like this. A little bit of jealousy. A little bit of a offense that somebody did to me that's this painful, really hurt me, but I'm gonna cause it to make a hard stone in my heart. Some lust. Jealousy is horrible. Can we just get one thing out of our vocabulary? Because our words have power because he put his voice into us. When somebody tells us something that's awesome about what they're doing in their life, a promotion at their job, a vacation they're going on, can we celebrate them? Can we never say again, Oh, I'm, I'm jelly of that. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. That is a stone in your heart of hatred. You might not even realize it. You're causing a huge stone to grow in your heart because you're like, oh, I'm so jealous. And you won't even tap their heart on Instagram for their vacation because your heart is like stone. promise you this, you start celebrating people around you, even the people you don't like, and those stones melt. All of a sudden, you go from hardness 
to hearts melting like wax. And you have to capture this at the moment that it comes into your mind. The moment it comes into your heart. I, I remember years ago, someone got <clears throat> a bonus or a promotion or something. And I remember I carried it around for a couple weeks because I thought, man, that should have been me. I've worked harder. I deserve that because I couldn't celebrate them, I, I had a stone in my heart. That's how you go from little pebbles to murdering your brother. Selfishness. It's ugly. If Abraham was selfish... I'm sure God would have raised up somebody else, but he would have just stayed in his ground because why am I going to go and not gain anything in this earthly life? You know the best way to beat selfishness, whether it's with your wife or anyone? Go serve them. My wife, is, is she's such a server. You, you, the next time you get selfish about something, I challenge you, go serve that same person. Go do something for them that would bless them, it will just crush that stone of selfishness. Bitterness is so ugly. And it usually starts with real hurt. Like we get hurt by each other because we're not perfect. but you add some gossip or lies to bitterness, man, that thing grows fast. Becomes a stone ready to murder something, someone very quickly. This is what Hebrews 12 says about bitterness in relationships, it's so good. In every relationship, that, that means everyone, be swift. Here's the, here's the stepping part. You got to do this quickly. Be swift to choose peace over competition and run swiftly towards holiness. That means being, being like who Jesus is. For those who are not holy, get this, those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And all of a sudden, this pebble grows into this and it blocks your eyesight from anything of the Lord. You have to crush those pebbles swiftly, bring peace into every relationship. I, I love what Jesus says in Matthew 10, when he sends the disciples out. He says, this is such a guiding principle for our lives. He says, when you come to someone's house or doorway or any relationship, bring my peace. Because there you've opened your heart. You're bringing his shalom, his goodness. Now, if they reject your peace, you can shake the dust and move on. But you've still brought peace. Your heart is free. Their heart, they might have to work on. You weren't designed to be in relationship with everybody. There's, there's some people that you should not be in relationship with, but you can still bring peace in that relationship. Okay? There's hurts and offense and bitterness in this room that, that you probably should not be best friends with them anymore, but 
you can still bring peace from your heart. The Holy Spirit will show you how to do that. But once you bring the peace, your hands are open. There's no stones growing in your heart. You are free. Sometimes free to leave and shake the dust, but you're free. Because you've done, you've brought the peace of Jesus. In every relationship, be swift to choose peace, to bring peace. Run swiftly towards holiness. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now watch this. Watch over each other. Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. We have to call each other out. We have to. We have to be iron that sharpens iron. Think about Saul. I'm sure he thought of this. Saul, who was going to become Paul, he sat there in silence as his brothers stoned Stephen to death. His silence was agreement with the stoning. The silence of your life and not speaking up and bringing God's grace to somebody and God's truth to somebody is your agreement with this stone of bitterness, of lust, of envy, of competition, of jealousy. Watch over each other. That's what family does to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. And make sure, here it is, no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. See, someone else's bitterness poisons the whole family. That's why we have to watch out for it. That's why we have to uproot it, cultivate, tend the garden. This is why we're going back to the ancient ways. With Revelation eyesight, Genesis Foundation, and Acts Church that speaks and promotes the living words of God. Don't you stand on your feet. Close your eyes in this moment, just, just you and Jesus. There's some pebbles in your life today. There might be some boulders as well. We need to deal with those right here, right now in this moment. John writes in 1 John, he says, anyone who says I am in the light while holding hatred in his heart towards a fellow believer is still in the darkness. But the one who truly loves a fellow believer lives in the light and there's nothing in him that will cause someone else to stumble. But whoever hates a fellow believer lives in the darkness, stumbling around in the dark with no clue where he is going, for he is blinded by the darkness. Holy Spirit, illuminate the pebbles that need to melt in our heart this morning. It may be something so 
simple, something that you said, so simple. I'd ask forgiveness this morning for something I had said yesterday because the Holy Spirit convicted me of it. We have to deal with this before it grows into murderous stones. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 5, you're familiar with the commandment, do not murder. But I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart towards a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. Whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to a fiery hell. Jesus said, so if, if you're at the altar, if you're at my altar, which we're about to open up in a moment, if you're at, at the altar and you remember that you have something, a quarrel, a pebble, I'll say, against a fellow believer, Jesus says, leave the altar. You, you can't approach me yet until you deal with that. So if there's a stone, I don't care how big or small it is in your life right now, deal with it right now before you come to the altar. You might need to send a text to set up a meeting. You might need to walk across the room right now to someone that's in this room. Whatever you do, do it quickly before the, the root of bitterness grows any further, before the ugliness of jealousy becomes a murderous stone in your life. can wash over us once again. 
this be a day that we quickly run to bring your peace to whatever relationship that we've been holding it back from. Maybe we make the phone call. Maybe we send the text. Father, do not let this church be known for hardness of hearts, but rather that they would have the heart of David, a broken and contrite spirit is what you require. You will not turn away from that. So Father, break the hardness in our hearts this morning. the river of grace from your throne flood over those rocks and wash them away. May we release every bit of murder in our hearts. And may we be known as the people who love so extravagantly that our face glows like Stephen's did. And then even when stones are being hurled at us, we can look straight into the throne room and say, Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And may we bless them just like Stephen blessed Saul because you see the next greatest evangelist to your church with the guy that agreed with throwing those stones. Set our hearts free so we can set the Pauls free so that they can have an experience with Jesus. It's you that knocks them off their horses. It's you that brings the dreams and the revelation, Father. Our job is to just bring the shalom of Jesus, bring the peace of Jesus into every situation. Whether, whether we're dropping stones or we're getting stones pelted at us, it doesn't matter. We bring the peace. We bring the peace. We bring the love. And then your kindness follows. An ocean of kindness, a river of grace. Father, flow in this place this morning. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the fruit that you are multiplying through this orchard of Jacob. We want to be part of planting more orchards of Holy Spirit fruit to fill the world, to subdue the chaos, to bring your peace and love and joy to this earth, to our region. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said,